Hello, Ghost Family. Sam here, coming to you with a very special bonus episode today. I have, for the past few months, been working on a super cool, top-secret new podcast. That podcast is out today, and on this bonus episode, I'm going to play you a little sample of it. I think you're really going to like it. It is the exact kind of deep, nuanced character study that we love to do here on Family Ghosts. Plus, it is hosted by none other than John Stamos. That's right, Uncle Jesse from Full House, who is not only the gifted actor that you already know and love, he is also friends with a man named Barry Keenan. And back in 1963, Barry Keenan was broke, alone, desperate to save his family from financial ruin. He was addicted to booze and pills. His life was going off the rails. And in a final Hail Mary attempt to set things right, Barry did something really bizarre. So bizarre, it's hard to believe it really happened. He kidnapped Frank Sinatra Jr. And that is the story that John Stamos is going to tell you in this podcast, which is called The Grand Scheme, Snatching Sinatra. John sat down with Barry and got him to tell the complete story, every detail, every plot twist, every absurd outlandish character that he conned along the way. As I have been saying to friends over the last few months, it's sort of like the real-life Big Lebowski, which sounds maybe a little grandiose, but I kind of think it's true. And something that I want to say to all of you about this podcast is I was the writer for the show. And something that I worked really hard to do is to not glorify or celebrate the fact that Barry pulled off these crimes. Kidnapping is obviously a very serious crime, and he caused a lot of trauma to a lot of people in the midst of perpetrating this kidnapping. But like we do here on Family Ghosts, the attempt that we have made on Snatching Sinatra is to tell the story of a troubled man living in troubled times, doing the best he can, for better and for worse to try to find some compassion for a desperate person who made some very, very bad choices. And, of course, to tell an incredibly entertaining story along the way. Working on this project was such a thrill. It was an incredibly rich writing challenge. It was obviously an honor to collaborate with an artist like John Stamos, a wonderful performer, and somebody who really cares about telling a meaningful story. You know, there's a lot of celebrity podcasts where a famous person just sits down with their famous friends and talks about nothing for 45 minutes. And there's nothing wrong with that per se. But, you know, John probably could have made one of those shows if he wanted to. And that's not what he wanted to do. He wanted to tell an important story and to do it in an interesting way. And the opportunity to help him do that was just so cool. And on top of that, it was so wonderful to get to collaborate again with my old friends at Spoke Media, who I partnered with on seasons two and three of Family Ghosts. You will hear some familiar names in the credits of this show. Jenna Burnett and Janiel Kastner, in particular, were such key parts of the storytelling that we got to do in our second and third seasons, and it was wonderful to work with them again. I'm really proud of what we've made here on The Grand Scheme, Snatching Sinatra, and very excited to share this preview with you right now. It had been a few hours since their slow speed chase out of Lake Tahoe. Barry, Joe, and Frank Sinatra Jr. had made it across the state line, and they were driving through blinding snow. The car was skidding all over the road as they tried to navigate these narrow mountain passes. To calm his nerves, 
Barry turned on the radio. Every radio station I came kept announcing the kidnapping. And then they were playing Frank Sinatra songs, and Junior came up with a comment like, isn't that typical of the media? They're now trying to take advantage of this terrible mistake that you guys made and make it into a show business thing. The Sinatra was the idol of Bobby Soxers in the 30s. And then, just as they're coming up on the lights of this tiny little mountain town. They just started playing Strangers in the Night. Now look, sure, it was a coincidence, but this scene is so perfect you couldn't write it. Think about it, a troubled and mentally unstable drunk, strung out on his misguided fantasy of redemption on the run after committing a felony, albeit one he believes to be divinely ordained. His reluctant and slightly dim-witted accomplice, the former James Dean of Uni High, battered, bruised, frozen half to death in the passenger seat, but loyal to the last. And in the back seat, the son of Hollywood royalty, woozy on booze and sleeping pills, sneering at the radio for spinning the story of his kidnapping into yet another story about his father. I thought, wow, how amazing is that? Here we are, three strangers. Of course, Junior was also being held against his will here, so he didn't have much agency in the narrative Barry was crafting about this trip. But in Barry's mind, they were just three men, all outcasts in their own way, slipping and sliding down the highway towards an unknown fate. Salvation or downfall, it could go either way. For Barry, there was only one possible way to interpret this moment. So I thought it was another divine revelation that we were on the right track and so forth. Barry was counting on some more divine intervention to see this thing through. He still had a few hundred miles to drive in a blizzard in order to make it back to the safe house. And the perfect soundtrack for his plan of operation wasn't the only thing coming through the speakers. And the radio was saying they're gonna start a door-to-door -door search first thing in the morning. I'm John Stamos, and you're listening to The Grand Scheme, Snatching Sinatra. Chapter five, <laughs> Strangers in the Night. As the hours passed, our strangers in the night weren't making good time on their mad dash back to LA. We went over these 8,000 foot high mountain passes with no chains on, and uh, I had to get out on a couple of occasions and let a significant amount of air out of my tires so they would get better traction. And I was fishtailing and everything. At one point, he slid directly into a snowbank. And you gotta figure that life-altering car wreck from just a year or so earlier, you know, the one that got him hooked on quaaludes, was still fresh in his mind. But at the moment, he had more immediate concerns. For one thing, his gas tank was almost empty and every gas station they passed had signs up saying that they were closed until Monday morning. And every little town we'd go through was the same, and now it got down to about less than a quarter of a tank and knew it was serious. So I uh, finally saw a combination convenience store, gas station, little motel and what have you with a house on top of the gas station and convenience store. So I knocked on the door and the guy, very nice guy, said, well, out of gas, I bet. I said, yes, sir. And I said, is there any way you could sell me some gas and we have to get to work on Monday and blah, blah, blah. And he said, sure. So he filled up the car with gas and I saw in the, his store that he sold liquor. And I said, is there any way I could buy a bottle of whiskey from you and some 7-Up and some milk? Now, remember, Barry and Joe had gambled away all their money in Lake Tahoe. 
but they'd also taken Junior from his hotel room on the pretense that this was a robbery, which meant Junior had handed over his wallet, which contained a single $100 bill. So to repay this poor guy who Barry just dragged out of bed and into the snow? I gave him Frank's $100 bill. He said, I can't change this. All the money's locked up. And I said, well, just keep the change. Now remember, that's a $100 bill in 1963, which means that for a tank of gas, a bottle of whiskey, some 7-Up, and some milk, the gas station owner had pocketed more than 800 bucks in today's money. So Barry figured the guy wouldn't mind if he grabbed just one more thing. I said, I'll buy another bottle of booze, and that'll take care of us for our trip home. And he said, okay, fair enough. The man tucked the hundred in his pocket, and he went back to bed, completely unaware that he just aided and abetted a federal crime. Barry passed around the Whiskey and 7-Up, and he hit the road. We kept looking for a radio station that wasn't talking about the kidnapping and playing Frank Sinatra songs. And finally, we hit on Wolfman Jack, who was broadcasting from a mega station in Tijuana. And so we all loved Wolfman Jack. He was very funny to you. It's way before your time. But anyway, he was a, a very a comedy oriented For the record, guy. yes, I do indeed know who Wolfman Jack is or was. But just in case you don't, take a second to imagine the sultry sounds of Frank Sinatra's singing voice. Okay, got it? Now imagine the exact opposite. Have mercy, Saturday night, good time. Hello, who is on the telephone? This is David Hill. <laughs> yeah. How are you, old man? All right, where, where are you calling from? East Dallas. All right, I want you to lay your hand on the radio, baby. We're going to play your record now. Are you ready? Yes, sir. Here it comes, all right. And for the record, I didn't steal Uncle Jesse's catchphrase, Have Mercy, from Wolfman Jack. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Anyway, Wolfman Jack changed the energy in that car. Joe took a break from dabbing the blood oozing from his head wound and took a few pulls of whiskey. He passed the bottle back to Junior, who was already buzzed from the sleeping pills that Barry had fed him back at the hotel. To hear Barry tell it, they were having a blast. We were cracking jokes in the car, and we were, we were all drinking. As much fun as Barry says they were having, I suspect his passengers might have been a little more anxious than he realized. Joe was probably wondering when Barry was going to ask him to climb back in the trunk or run off into the blizzard again. And as cool as Junior was playing things, he must have been at least a little worried that these guys were gonna kill him. I mean, whatever they were up to, they sure didn't seem like experts. Whatever each man's motivation, fun, fear, or frostbite, as they white-knuckled it down those snowy mountain passes, on some level, Barry knew that they were in a heap of danger with every hairpin turn. But in his mind, there was a silver lining. At least they weren't strangers anymore. Then it was like we were three guys on a road trip. <laughs> But eventually, the booze ran out and the party died down. Junior started asking when I was going to let him out. And I said, well, I can't let you out here. You freeze to death. I said, when we get down to Sacramento, we'll let you out near the airport. And then we'll get back on the freeway and get lost in the traffic and so forth. And so he was okay with that. Of course, they weren't actually going to Sacramento. So there you have it. A preview of the grand scheme, Snatching Sinatra. If you felt intrigued, and I hope you did, you can find the first two episodes live right now in Apple Podcasts or Amazon Music or wherever you listen. You can also binge all 10 episodes of the story, plus three bonus episodes, two of which I got to co-host by subscribing to Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts or on the Wondery app. Either way, I hope that you will listen to the rest of this story that I am so grateful to have had a role in telling. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. 
and I will be back in your headphones on Thursday with a new episode of Family Ghosts. Talk to you then.